appreciate that. Before we get started here, I just want to say amen to the, uh, the Circle of Hope Children's, the girls' home and brother, the householders, what they're doing. I didn't vote to give the money, but I wanted to. I'm just saying I, I wanted to vote. And so praise the Lord for the great work that the Lord is doing there. I appreciate that. And again, appreciate your prayers. Uh, and we're looking forward to, uh, to this meeting. We do uh, are in Glendale, Arizona, and excited about what the Lord is doing there. And uh, man, alive, I tell you, there, there is a lot of people in, in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Did you realize there's, there's uh, twice as many people in Phoenix than there is in the state of Oklahoma? I mean, the, the city of Phoenix has twice as many people as the state of Oklahoma. And so it is a needy area and uh, very thankful what the Lord is doing there and looking forward to get the marshals down. And have you seen the church, actually? Have you been in our property? Oh, man, we're excited to have them meet our folks there. And the, the Lord has just been blessing, and we're very, very thankful. But I'm thankful to be here this week, and we're excited about what the Lord is going to do. And so I want to just kind of tip you off. I mentioned it in Sunday school, but tip you off about what, what I'm going to do this week, Lord willing, is I'm going to, I'm going to preach on the tabernacle. And uh, how many of you in your daily Bible reading have been through the book of Exodus and read the tabernacle, and you're like, shame on you, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. It is a, it is a little bit rough reading sometimes, and uh, you know, but... But I'm just telling you what happened. I know a couple of Sunday school classes, I think, are going through the tabernacle, which I was like, man, now I've got to make certain I tell the truth on this and, and get it right. And so, and so what I'm going to look at is going through the tabernacle, but I'm just telling you what, I really believe that it's what God wants us to look at this week. As I mentioned in Sunday school, he's wanting to meet with us this week. Now, there's a certain way that he wants us to meet with him. You know, as I mentioned, you know, it's just not, you know, we just come however we want. There's a certain process and certain things that we have to deal with if we're truly going to have the good hand of God upon us. And so we're going to look at the tabernacle and the different elements. Now, I know, and we're going to be looking, and I'll have you stand here in just a moment, in Exodus and in, in, in chapter 27, when it gets in the tabernacle here, it, it starts out with the Ark of the Covenant, which I'm going to have over here, and then it goes this way, but I'm going to start on this end and go this way as we look at the, the furnishings of the tabernacle, because I believe we have to, each one of them are on purpose if we want to ultimately get over here to the Ark of the Covenant and find the presence of God. And what we find when we get there is amazing. I'm telling you, I'm already excited about it. It's amazing. And so we're going to go through this week, starting this morning, and then tonight we're going to go through these different elements of the, uh, of the tabernacle. And so I'm excited, and I just pray that you would also pray that the Lord just give us wisdom and understanding as we look at this, because it's not one of the easier topics in the Bible uh, to look at and to preach on. And uh, so if you'll find your spot in the Bible, Exodus chapter 27, Exodus chapter 27, if you don't mind standing as we read, Exodus chapter 27 and verse 9, Exodus chapter 27 verse 9, while you're turning there, I just uh, would solicit your prayers, Uh, I know pray for Brother Dan Tidd and the other individual that was mentioned, Uh, but if you pray for my staff, I have an assistant pastor, the Zevenbergen family and their little daughter, Brooklyn, two years old, uh, has... They just, we just discovered she has cancer in her right eye. A little two-year-old Brooklyn, sweet little thing. And uh, so she had her first round of chemo. Uh, man, Friday when we left, we were driving out of town, and they're in the hospital having chemo. And uh, they had to go in through her leg, and they were able to go right up into her eyeball uh, and put the chemo right there on her eyeball. And so, man, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a tough situation. Her name is Brooklyn. And so if you pray for her, uh, we'd really appreciate that, that she can't even see out of her right eye. No one knew it. You never ask a two-year-old, hey, can you see out of your right eye? And, uh, but through a series of, of divinely ordained events, we were able to find out that she couldn't see and there was a problem. And so if you'll pray for Brooklyn, I, if you'd put her on her prayer list, I'd appreciate that. 
Exodus chapter 27 and verse 9. The Bible says, And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side south, where there shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen of an hundred cubits long for one side. And the twenty pillars thereof and their twenty sockets shall be of brass, the, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side and the length there shall be hangings of an hundred cubits long and his twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, their pillars ten and their sockets ten. Verse 13, And the breadth of the court on the east side eastward shall be fifty cubits. Um, 14, The hangings on one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework and their pillars shall be four, and their sockets four. And all the, all the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver, their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. The length of the court shall be an hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere, and the height five cubits of t- fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass. All the vessels of the tabernacle and the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. Amen. You got it? We're good? <laughs> you, read, you read that, you're like, oh, mercy. What just happened there? Well, let's ask the Lord again one more time to bless. Father, we thank you for this time together. Help us to have understanding and wisdom in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, how many of you believe that it matters on which door you enter? Amen. I mean, it does make a difference on which door. I remember a long time ago when we first met the Perts, Brother George and Michelle Pert, we went over to Orlando to eat with them. And we were at some restaurant and I had to use the restroom and I went into the men's restroom Use the restroom, and I was on my way out, and they were, you know, they playing a trick and playing a game, and you got done washing your hands, and you went to the door, and it said ladies on, on the inside of the men's restroom door. And have you ever had one of those moments you're like, I mean, for a second there, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, am I, where, uh, you know, I mean, you don't think, I mean, I mean, duh, I'm in the men's restroom, that's the exit door, but for just that split second, I was like, uh, am I in the ladies' restroom? Am I going to the ladies' restroom? You know, and I look around and I was like, oh, okay, it's just a joke. And you walk in, you walk out, and you're like, they got me on that one because it does matter on which door you enter, amen? We were just took a few days of uh, family vacation last week into San Diego and went to the San Diego Zoo and went to USS Midway. And I uh, went to a restaurant, and, uh, and one of the restaurants, it was kind of a, uh, you know, a kind of a restaurant. And uh, so went there in downtown San Diego. I don't even know what word to describe it. And went to the restroom and it said, any gender. And I'm like, well, good, because there's only two, amen? There's either male or female. And uh, we got that settled at birth. And so, uh, and, and so you know, because I guess it does matter which door you enter. Now, what I want to look at this morning, what we're going to look at is the courtyard of the tabernacle. I'm going to show you a picture here in just a few moments. But we're going to look at the courtyard before we actually even get into the tabernacle. But we just need to have a little bit of background. I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. But in the beginning of time, we have to understand when God created Adam and Eve, there were no barriers to fellowship. I mean, there was no barriers to fellowship with all. Could you imagine living back in Old Testament days or even in Adam and Eve day, Eve's day? Uh, you know, I think about that, living in Old Testament times. When would I rather live? Old Testament times, you know, when all the miracles are in the times of Christ. And I'm just telling you what, I always come back to indoor plumbing. So I come back to the 21st century or come back to this time. And so... You know, you look at those times, but back when Adam and Eve was walking around, I'm telling you what, there was, uh, there was no barriers between God and men. Man had continuous fellowship with God, and they walked in the cool of the garden. 
But man, man obeyed God and obeyed Him fully and perfectly, and God was able to provide everything that man, man needed to meet their needs. But then it happened, we all understand, in the book of Genesis, uh, Eve took of that fruit, she was deceived, and then she gave to her husband and he ate willingly. Let me tell you what, Adam, we like to blame the woman. It was Adam's fault. Romans uh, chapter 5 teaches that as well. It was Adam's fault. It was man's fault of taking that fruit. And so sin passed upon all men. And so man sinned and disobeyed and rebelled against God. And man squandered the most important thing in the world, the care and the fellowship uh, and the guidance of God. I mean, that was the most, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden and a flaming cherubim was set there to keep the way of the Garden of Eden. And man lost that fellowship with God. I'm going to tell you what, it was gone. At that very moment, the door into God's holy presence slammed shut. No more fellowship. Man was banned from entering into God's presence and was destined, really, from their understanding, to be separated from God forever. But you know what? God had a plan for redemption, didn't He? And alive, I'm so thankful for that. A plan that would allow man back into His presence again, and it was going to be a plan that would take thousands of years to unfold. I mean, he, they had uh, fellowship in the Garden of Eden, uh, and then they, he sinned, and they were expelled on that, and then uh, many, many years later, I believe it was 1,500 or 2,500 years later, one of those two, uh, years later, he had the temple, uh, or excuse me, the tabernacle established so man could have fellowship with him there, and, and then they had the temple, and then, of course, later on, it became in the person of Jesus Christ, and now I have fellowship with him every single day because he's my Savior. And we, we were able to have this fellowship. And, and so... Uh, one of the first stages of God's plan was revealed in the construction of this tabernacle. And so through the tabernacle, God allowed the Old Testament priests to stand in the presence for His people. Now the people couldn't come into the presence of God, but the Old Testament priests could. And so, But God's people were still far removed from experiencing that close, intimate, personal presence and fellowship with God because they still couldn't approach God personally. They had to approach Him through a mediator, the high priest, which we know to be Aaron and his sons. The book of Hebrews, I'm telling you what, it tells us great things about the tabernacle, which was only a shadow of the things to come. So what we're looking at this week is this tabernacle, which is a picture and the shadow of things to come, which of course is Jesus Christ. Now, in God's perfect timing, he planned to send into the world the one person who would open the door into God's presence, the one person who could give open access to God anywhere, anytime, and of course that's Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross for the sins of the world, that veil in the temple was rent in two. And what did that signify? Well, it signified that you and I now have the ability to go into his presence anytime that we want. And we know there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. I'm telling you what, salvation is for all mankind. It's for everyone. Listen, let me tell you what, there's no such thing as the Bible's just for the elect. This whole Calvinism stuff, need to throw it out the window. It's a bunch of baloney. And so, whosoever may come unto him, it doesn't matter, the Jew, the Greek, the Gentile, all whoever approach God are drawn unto him, and he's willing to save to the uttermost. And so, in God's perfect timing, he planned to send into the world Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone is the only way into God's presence. It is Jesus Christ who cut the path whereby sinful man can enter again, once again, into the presence of God. It's only through Jesus Christ can we have fellowship with him. Only Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who fulfilled the symbolism uh, as the door, the only, uh, the only one that uh, can be opened. Christ is the only door into the presence of God. And now this is the emphasis of the Scripture as we look at the tabernacle furnishings uh, this week. And so, Lord willing, we're going to look at this tabernacle and see God's plan for us to meet with Him because I'm telling you what, as we talked about in Sunday school, I believe with every ounce of my being that God wants to meet with you and He wants to meet with me this week. 
I mean, it is his desire for us to draw closer to him and have that sweet fellowship with him. But as I mentioned in Sunday school, there is a definite way that we have to approach him. And, and as we're going to get into the tabernacle this week, we're going to look at the brazen altar, and we're going to look at the, the brass laver, and we're going to get into the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. And then ultimately, ultimately, when they have gone through the proper channels, can they get into the presence of a holy God? And so I want to get into the presence of a holy God. I want God's hand to be upon my life. I want Him to help me with my wife and with my children and with my life and my job. I, I want to see great things accomplished. God says, fine. But there's a process, there's an order, there's some steps that you're going to have to follow if you're going to meet with me. Because he says, be ye holy for I am holy. Well, that's great, how do I be holy? God says, I'll show you if you're willing to listen. And so, as we look at this simple tent, the tabernacle, we need to remember the, the overall purpose of the tabernacle. Why would God, after so many years, after Adam and Eve, why would he establish a tabernacle and dwell among his people? Well, the first reason, it was a place where God could dwell among his people. And I think about this in, in my prayer time and, and, and studying the tabernacle in the Old Testament times. For, for God, who is so magnificent and so wonderful and so omnipotent, to dwell on a mercy seat in a tabernacle among men is amazing. Um, to, the, the fact that he would be willing to do that is mind-boggling. He is the creator of, of all things. He, he is unlimited and yet he's willing to come and dwell among men. And I think about that in my life. Who, who am I? Who am I that God would want to have fellowship with me? That he would want to meet with me? That he would want to guide me? And that he would want to direct me? That he would want to save my soul? Who am I that he would want to do something like that? But it's because of his love. And so it was a place where God could dwell with his people. But it was also a place, listen, this tabernacle was also a place where people could approach and worship a holy God. Because he's created us as, as beings that have been made to worship. You and I have been made and created to worship. Well, how do you know that? Well, well, look what everyone else in this world is doing. Everyone's worshiping someone or something somewhere. They're worshiping. God has created us in his image, and so we've been created for this worship and fellowship. And, and, and so that's, that's what God has done for us. And it shows us what must take place. This tabernacle shows us what must play what must take place to meet with him. And that, again, ought to be the desire for every single one of us. Because this whole tabernacle that we're going to look at is a really big deal. I mean, it is a big deal. So to protect the tabernacle, to protect this tent and everything within, the Lord commanded that there be a courtyard around the tabernacle with a wall surrounding it. And so I'd like to have you go ahead and put this slide up. And I talked to Brother Marshall about this, and he approved of this. To every night or every, time, every message, there's going to be a different slide just to show you which uh, furnishing that we're going to look at next. And so I've always joked, I joked around when I looked at this at our church, I said, this is probably not what it looked like, but it's going to be real close. Amen. And so it was a pattern that God showed Moses on the mount. But this is kind of the, the, what, the, what the wall surrounding it looked like. And the courtyard is going to serve as a hedge between the outside world and the presence of a holy God. The presence of the holy God and the tabernacle, the tent and the furnishings were inside of this, inside of this wall. And so we need to understand that a clear line was drawn between the world and God's presence. Let me tell you what, he is a holy God and he must be, when we come to him, we come unto him unto his terms. And even when Moses, remember, was at that burning bush, he said, remove thy sandals for the, the, the ground there that you're standing on is holy ground. There's a difference between where God dwells and where man dwells. And no one was simply allowed to walk into the presence of God on a whim. The tabernacle was the, the holiest site on earth. And it was protected by this linen wall that we see here. 
And so only those who truly wanted to meet with God were allowed to enter. You just didn't enter in just on your own, or hey, I'm not got anything to do today. I'm taking a Sunday afternoon stroll or Saturday afternoon stroll. I'm just going to do what I want. No, they had to meet with him. Only those who wanted to meet with him. So we see before us this morning the the mandate to build the courtyard and the dimensions of the wall that surround it. So, so look at your text here. The dimensions were very plain and yet straightforward. Look in verse nine. It says, "Thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen." It says, of an hundred cubits long for one side, and the twenty pillars thereof, and their twenty sockets shall be of brass. The hooks and the pillars and the fillets shall be of silver. Now, the dimensions are given in cubits, which is somewhat of an uncertainty today, uh, and it is believed to be somewhere between 17.5 and 20.5 inches a cubit. And so I'll give you the measurements in feet this morning, roughly. From the south side, there were 150 feet of linen curtains. And then they were to make 20 posts and to fit into 20 brass bases. They were to make the silver hooks and the bands attached to the post. And so they were just decorating it up. Verse 11 says that the north side was to be built with the same exact specifications, 150 feet of linen curtains. And then the west and east walls were just slightly smaller, but they had to be exact dimensions. Uh, look in verse 12. It, it says there in verse 12, and, the, and for the breadth of the court, on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits, their pillars 10, and their sockets 10. And so it was to be 75 feet of curtains, and there would be 10 posts placed in 10 bases. The east wall was also 75 feet long, but I want you to notice this. It included on the east side was the one and only courtyard entrance. Verse 13 tells us, and the breadth of the court on the east side, eastward, shall be 50 cubits. And so the entrance on this east side was flanked by two curtains, each curtain was to be 22 and a half feet long. And verses 14 and 15, each was supported by three posts set into three bases. Listen, what, what we're trying to say here is the, the entrance, the door, was to be constructed with one door and one door only. There's only one way you're going to get into this courtyard, and that's through this one door. Look in verse 16. The Bible says, And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four, and their sockets four. And so the curtain was to be 30 feet long and was to be made of fine linen. It was to be decorated, embroidered in blue and in purple and in scarlet yarn, in the same colors which you're going to find throughout the inner court, uh, inner court uh, curtains of the tabernacle. And so the curtain was to be attached to four posts set and four bases and so forth. So in summary of this whole thing of this courtyard, the courtyard was to be 150 feet by 75 feet with a seven and a half foot tall curtain wall made of fine linen, the wall supported by brass bases. Even the tent pegs were made of brass. And so here you, here you have this big, huge wall, seven and a half feet tall. And so as we look at this tabernacle, again, keep in mind here, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5 tells us that the entire tabernacle was a shadow of the things to come, which was the true tabernacle pitched by Jesus Christ. Everything about the Old Testament tabernacle pointed to something far greater, which was the Messiah. For example, we can look at the white linen walls on, on this, and, and which symbolized the righteousness and holiness of God. He's so righteous and holy and, and so, so white and pure that he's set apart from the world. And when a person looks at God, he must see that God dwells in righteousness and in holiness. When they approach God, they must approach Him in reverence and awe and adoration and praise. I'm telling you what, when you're out in the middle of the desert and you see this white linen wall, you realize, hey, something special is going on over there. It's just something a little bit different. But I want to, for just a second, focus on the door or the gate of the court, uh, courtyard for a moment this morning. 
it, uh, the courtyard was big, again, 150 feet by 75 feet, and inside were many large things. We're going to look at the brazen altar and the, and, and the brass laver and the tabernacle and everything within, but the most important item in this courtyard protected, the most important item this courtyard protected was the holy place, which was the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelt. Where, and so the point being here, in the first step in attempting to meet with God, when we look at this and we see what God had set up for Israel to meet with them, the very first step to meet with God properly was that anyone who wanted to enter into the tabernacle and come into the presence of God, you have to go through the proper gate. You can't go any other way except the gate that God has allowed. I don't know if you've ever tried to climb a seven and a half foot wall, but this guy right here would not be so good. Listen, walls do work, amen? I'm just, 230 pounds, seven and a half foot, I mean, that's not going to happen. You know, that parkour wasn't invented back then, and so they didn't know how to do that. But listen, if anyone wanted to come into the, in, into the worship and presence of God, they had to follow these exact directions. And they had to go through the gate on the east side of the courtyard. You couldn't go and find the presence of God or get into the presence of God any other way other than the east gate in the way that he has prescribed. And I kind of think, hopefully, everyone sees where we're going with this. But there's only one way to enter into God's presence today. There are not many different ways, as most men and women would like you to believe today. There's not three different ways, or all ways lead to heaven, or there's 17 different ways to get there. There is only one way to get into God's presence today. But two things need to happen if we're going to get into God's presence. A couple things need to take place if we're going to get into His presence. And I almost left this point out. I almost didn't even want to talk about this because it's so silly. But, but the first important thing, the first important thing, simple fact that we have to understand is that God must be approached if man or woman wishes to be forgiven for their sins to live forever with Him. He must be approached. We must come to Him on our own. We must be willing to come to Him and have the forgiveness of sins. As I mentioned, I don't believe in this whole Calvinism stuff where I've been predestined to go to heaven or predestined to go to hell or some are part of the elect and some are part of the elect. I'm just telling you, God doesn't operate that way. I'm just telling you what, I haven't been born. Well, you're going to go to heaven and you're not going to go to heaven. Listen, if I want to go to heaven, there's going to be the wooing and the conviction and the drawing of God, but I have to be willing to respond. And I have to go through the proper door and gate if I'm going to have fellowship with Him. And it, almost, it does, it almost sounds silly, but the simple fact is, is we have to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ for it to be any good to us. And let me ask you this, if you've not been willing to come to God to His presence, whether for salvation or for holy living, if you have not been willing to respond and come to Him, let me ask you, how's your life going for you today? How's your life going for you if you're not willing to listen and to respond and to come into His presence? You know, the Word of God has been provided for all of mankind. Everyone, as we talked about in Sunday school, has a copy of the Scriptures. The Bible is out there everywhere. You can find it in every motel room. But I'm just telling you what, not everyone is going to heaven when they die. Not everyone's going to heaven. Why? Well, first of, all, first of all, they're not even willing to try to approach Him. But second of all, when they do, they're trying to get into the presence of God going through the wrong door. They're, they're trying to find, find peace and happiness and trying to find joy and trying to find fulfillment and even trying to find God, and they're going through the wrong door. Uh, uh, we must respond to God's Word through the proper door of Jesus Christ for both salvation and also for Christian living. Listen, I had to go through the door of Jesus Christ to get saved in 1975, but I still have to go through Jesus Christ when I pray unto the Father in the, in, the, in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit for daily living. Everything that we do revolves around God and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
So we have to respond to God's Word and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if it's going to be any benefit to us, if this week is going to be any benefit to us, we're going to have to respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, one of the blessings, I, I like living in Glendale. I'm about two, our church is about two and a half miles from Cabela's, and I live about three and a half miles from Cabela's. I'm just telling you what, that's like heaven on earth. It's glory land. And when I sing glory land, I think of Cabela's. And, and so, you know, I, but... And so they'll run some specials every now and then, and, and you know, you can buy some ammo and all that good stuff and just go around, and there, man, there's, there's I mean, so many stuffed animals, you think you're in a zoo in there. But when they have specials and coupons, it doesn't do me any good unless I respond. And, and I know that sounds silly, but unless you go there and you scan the, uh, uh, the coupon or unless you go take part of that special, then it doesn't do me any good at all. Uh, and so the gospel that has the ability to change your life will do you no good unless you approach him through the proper gate and meet with him his way. And there's, there's perhaps in the crowd this side, there's perhaps some people in here that need to be saved. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is there. He's willing to save your soul. He's willing to meet with you. But it's not going to do you any good unless you respond. Unless you listen to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God and you respond to Him. And those of us who are saved and know we're on our way to heaven and our walk with the Lord is not where it needs to be. Listen, no one's going to force you to get to, to make right choices. There's not a holy headlock in the Bible that says you will do this or you will go to church or you will get rid of that or you will stop looking at that. That's not going to be in there, my friend. You're going to have to respond. To the, when, the, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts and leads, you're going to have to get up and make that decision to make the proper decision. So there's only one gate that's going to gain you access in the presence of God, and that gate is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 7, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So he is the doorway to forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. There is nothing that you and I can do. And I think we understand that. But again, there might be folks in here, and this lends more of itself to a salvation message this morning. But there is nothing you and I can do. No good works or no good deeds or no religious rituals or rites or exercises. No good karma outweighing bad karma to help us get to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can allow us into heaven. And it's only through the proper door that we can have fellowship with God. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, and we'll wrap this up this morning. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and I want you to see what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, the rich young, or or the the Pharisee, sorry, Nicodemus the Pharisee, in John chapter 3, and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Look what he says there in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. And I think sometimes we as Baptists, we want to shy away from that word born again or being saved. But let me tell you what, friend, it's a Bible word. You need to be born again. You, you need to be saved. Say, oh, well, wait a minute. If I want to go to heaven, I got you Baptists, you talk about being saved or you talk about being born again. Well, what does that all mean? Or, or how do I get there? Or, I thought we were all going to go to heaven. You remember multiple doors. I thought, I thought my good works would outweigh my bad works. Well, turn with me over to John chapter 14 and verse 6. And we see the path. We see the door right here. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, another very familiar passage of Scripture. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but what? By me, Jesus says. Let me tell you what, you're not going to get to heaven by going through Buddha, 
Confucius. You're not, not going to get to heaven by going through Muhammad or anyone else. Either Jesus Christ is telling the truth or he's lying right here. But if you want to get into the presence of the Father, if you want to have sweet fellowship with him, if you want him to change your life, you're going to have to go through Jesus Christ. He is the only door and the only way this morning. So God must be approached. Listen, first of all, God must be approached if a man wishes to have eternal life or if a man or woman wishes to be blessed by God. It's so simple this morning. We just have to be willing to, to approach him. And, I, and I, sometimes I think we just forget about that. You know, as I, when we come to services, are we really paying attention? Are we will, really listening to the, that still small voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God? Lord, what would you have for me today? Lord, what would you want me to do? What decisions would you make me to, have me to make in my life? Is there something going on, Lord, in my life that needs to be changed? Sometimes when I go to, in my prayer time, I'll just sit there and be silent for a while and just be quiet and just listen silently and quietly. Because I know the Lord wants me to, something to do in my life. Trust me. I know the, You don't have to ask my wife. Just ask, ask me. I know the Lord wants to do something in my life. I know there's things that, that I need to, to tweak and to change. But first of all, listen, folks, you have, we have to be willing to respond. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I, I, I'm, you know, we're having revival this week. Go ahead. Try to bless me. Go ahead. Just see what you, know, just see what you can do, preacher. You know, I was in that. How, about, how about we come and we're like, Lord, what do you want from me today? What, what, what's, some, what's some things in my life that could be changed? How could I be a better husband? How could I be a better wife? How could I be a better father or a church member? Lord, is there something? Or maybe, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to, for you to make that decision, Lord, and, and change my life. You have to be willing to respond. You have to respond to His leading for salvation and holy living. And no person can ever be found acceptable to Him unless we approach God exactly as He desires. God was laying out the groundwork here for Israel so that he might have a place to dwell among men. And again, this is just the beginning. He's just laying this groundwork, and here's the courtyard. But he's laying this out so that we might have a place, he might have a place to dwell among men, and so they might have the ability to worship him properly. Because it does matter how we worship him. And as we look at this tabernacle and all the furnishings in the next few nights, we're going to see that God had some pretty specific plans for Israel if they wanted to meet with him. And God has some pretty specific plans for us today as well. You, you want the good hand of God upon you? I asked in Sunday school, do you want the good hand of God upon you? I do. Man, it, it is my prayer in life. I don't, I'm not praying for wealth or finances or even good health. I'm not praying for those things. I'm asking God's good hand to be upon me. That's what I need in my life. I, I need God to meet with me and show me and direct my path. Then if you want that, then you have to first come to Him you must first come to Him, and when you do, come to Him in a manner that He prescribes, which is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, do you have a right relationship with the Father? Do you, do you know for certain, have you gone through the right door? And this is just a, a good message right here. First things first, looking at the door, because I don't know this crowd, the, the crowd, and I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. Do you know for certain that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Have you gone through the proper door, which is Jesus Christ, to have a right relationship with the Father? You know, some might say, I've had people, you know, I've asked people before, well, when, when, when were you saved? And they said, well, I've always been a believer. Did you know that's not necessarily true? You've not always been a believer? Let me, let me put it this way. Someone might ask me, hey, Brother Nell, how old are you? And I say, well, I've always been alive. You know, I've always been around. They're like, what are you talking about? You're, you're a goofball. You're an idiot. What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, I've always been around. No, no. When were you born? Oh, oh. when I was born? 
that was June 3rd, 1968 in Tucson, Arizona. I'm 51. And so uh, I know I look older. But anyway, June 3rd, 1968 is when I was born. I have a birth certificate to prove it. I didn't just osmos into this world and say, here I am. No, I was born in Tucson, Arizona, June 3rd. My mom can verify that for sure. And it's the same thing, folks. Listen, it's the same thing about being born again, about going through that proper door and having fellowship with the Father. Do you remember when you were born again? Some might say, well, I've always been a believer. Again, no, no, no. No, you haven't. Just as there was a time physically that you were born, let me tell you, folks, there has to be a time spiritually when you were born again. When you went through that proper gate, when you did what the Bible says called being born again, when you were saved. There's got to be a point in time in your life when you can remember. Here's my problem. I don't remember, I don't remember the month that I was saved. I don't even remember the year that I was saved. My mom had, I had to ask my mom. She said it was 1975. I said, you sure? She said, yeah, it was 1975. Do you remember the month? No. Man, you don't remember the month? You probably don't remember the day either. No. She says, I don't remember that. So I have to rely upon my mom for the month and the year. But here's what I do remember. I remember being there. I remember being there in that little blonde brick house in Prospect, Kansas, just east of El Dorado, in that northwest bedroom. I got on my knees and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I remember being there. Listen, you, you shouldn't have to rely. Listen, if you're relying on when your mom told you that you went through that door, if you're relying on when your dad told you when you went through that door, then I have some issues with that. Because if you've ever met the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and been forgiven for your sins, you probably ought to remember that. You probably ought to remember that day that you went through that door and and had sweet fellowship with the Father and were forgiven for all of your sins. So as we close this out this morning, I don't know if you've ever done this, Brother Marshall, so if you have, that's fine. But if if I were to give you a piece of chalk, if I were to give you a piece of chalk and I said, here's your job, here's what I want you to do this week, I want you to go to the place that you, that you trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because you ought to be able to remember it. Amen? I want you to go to the, take this piece of chalk on the way out the door. Well, you know, would hand everyone a piece of chalk. And I want you to go to that place where you trusted Jesus Christ. And I want you to draw a circle. Where, where, would, where would you go? This morning? Where would you go today or this week? Some might go over to that old, old building, Brother Marshall, over on the other side. And go to the altar or wherever and say, man, it's right here. Some of you might come up here and you might draw a circle and say, right over here is where I got saved. Some of you might take that piece of chalk and go to the pastor's office and draw a circle on the carpet. Or maybe go to your home or my home like I did. Or some, maybe it was a camp meeting. And you were like, or, or you go to an old a church that's not even there anymore. The building's been torn down. And you say, you know what? It was somewhere right around here is where I draw my piece of, where I draw my circle. But you know what? There might be some folks in here who would take that piece of chalk and walk outside and say, you know, I don't, I don't know where I would go. I, I don't know where I would draw my, my circle because I'm not totally certain that heaven is my home. I don't remember going through that door, the only door of Jesus Christ. I mean, I've been trying to be a good person. I've been, I've been, I've been working hard. My good works, you know, I'm, I'm trying to feed the poor. I'm trying to do what's right. And I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all those things. But you wouldn't have a, a, a place where you could go and say, right here is where I got saved. Listen, if that's you this morning, you need to get it taken care of today. I can't think of a better way to start off Revival Week than knowing for certain that heaven is your home. The having that being able to say, right here, preacher, right here is where I got saved. 
I heard a testimony from one of the gals. You know, such and such a date at such and such a time, I accepted Christ my Savior. I sat back and I think, man, that'd be awesome. I wish I could do that month and date. And another guy, you know, such and such a time and such and such a place is where I got saved. But here's what I can do. I know where I was and I remember being there. Do you? Where would you go with that piece of chalk this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, with no one looking around. Many of you, let me, let me just ask, take a little liberty here and say, how many, how many Pastor Nell would say, or say, Pastor Nell, I know for certain that I'm going to heaven when I die. With no one looking, with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, that's me. I, I have no doubts whatsoever. If I were to die, I know where I'd take that piece of chalk. I know exactly where I'd go. With no one looking around, how many by uplifted hands say, that's me. I know for certain I'm going to heaven when I die. No doubts whatsoever. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Let me ask you this, please. With no one looking, I don't wanna, we're not going to call your name. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to come for you. We just want to anonymously pray for you. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.